Okay, a recording is in progress. Can you all hear that recording in progress? Good, I'm glad. Just what you needed to hear, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a new Zoom uh, something. So every time we record, there's progress, hopefully. Um, let's sit for a little bit. Please. Take a posture that supports your awareness, your presence, your hearness. It's helpful to be relatively upright so that there's an uprightness in the spine from the base of the spine all the way through the back of the neck. you adjust or center yourself so that you're relatively balanced left to right, front to back. And then it's very helpful not to move once you've taken the posture of meditation so that we can begin to align body and mind together. And it's fine to sit on a cushion or a bench or a chair or to stand if that's more appropriate for you or to lie down if that supports you. to let the awareness saturate the aliveness that is sitting here. So whether you're warm or cool, whether you're energized or tired, hungry or satiated, Sense the aliveness that is here, that has many different flavors depending on the moment.
feeling this alive, physical body and consciousness that's aware. Letting your meditation be very relaxed, very at ease, simply being aware of this living body that's breathing. And often it's very supportive for many people to begin with the body and the breathing as a way to center, compose, collect the tension here in the lived moment, this moment. the body and the breath, or you can simply be aware of the aliveness that's sitting here in whatever ways it manifests. Whether it's physical sensations, tightness, tension, a sense of relaxation or ease in the body, or however else reality manifests, whether you're happy or sad, having some emotion, frustrated, angry, joyful, delighted, or there's a sense of uh, quiet or calm or openness or simplicity. Resting in the moment, whether it's with the body and the breath or if it's with anything else that displays itself in the field of awareness, in the field of aliveness.
only effort you need to make is simply to be here and be aware of whatever's here. Even if it's a lot of thinking about what happened today or the yesterday or last week or last year or 20 years ago, be aware of thought doing itself. Or even if you see there's a lot of planning and imagining and thinking about tomorrow or this week or what you're going to do or what needs to be done. Don't be cathected to the thought. Don't be so enchanted with it. Be aware of the process itself of thought happening on its own. And even being aware of the thought I'm thinking and noticing that as part of the process of thought You don't have to fix or stop or change anything as we begin to rest in that which knows, awareness in which all things are known, moment by moment by moment, just staying right here in what's sometimes called the eternal moment, the eternal now, here. Being aware of whatever's predominant in the space of awareness, sound, thought, feeling, smell, taste, touch, sensation, or the magical display of Dharma as we wake up moment by moment by moment.
So again, good evening everybody. Good to be with you. It's always good to sit and not do much. Um, I'd like to talk tonight, have a talk called The Wisdom of Aging. And I just want to first see, is there anybody here who is not aging? Please raise your hand if you're not aging. Uh, and the I came, I wanted to talk about this because of uh, having just taught this retreat called Aging, Dying, and Awakening. And it's for older people, for people 55 and older, but the talk's not for older people that I'm going to give because everybody is aging whatever age you happen to be. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. Every, everybody just keeps aging. And it's just part of the terrain of being a human being or being a living being and being aware. Because everybody knows that they're aging, or at least our bodies are aging. And it's part of the, really, it's under the rubric, the, the, the domain of, uh, Duke, of uh, Anicca, impermanence. And there's a beautiful quote someone just sent me from the German writer Rilke, who said, the knowledge of impermanence, the knowledge of impermanence that haunts our days is their very fragrance. The knowledge of impermanence that haunts our days is their very fragrance. It's a beautiful understanding of, of impermanence and our, and our mixed relationship to things are changing and things are aging, right? There's something taunting, he says, haunts our days. There's something about that that's very sobering but the fragrance of impermanence is something uh, magical, really, and indescribable of the magic of change, of nothing is static ever. It's such a beautiful part of being alive and aware and awake. And so I thought I would talk about the wisdom of aging, right? and the, and the retreat, it was very simple because it's for, it is literally for an elder population, people 55 and older. And people love the retreat, partly that any cohesive, in a way that we've seen any cohesive group um, that um, gets to be together can be real together, often in a way they're not real with other people or they're not understood or seen or recognized or acknowledged by other people. And this is true of other, if you're in a certain religious group and you're among other people, or if you're in a certain color body, right? If you're in a racial group, uh, you might not feel seen, but there's something about when you get together as your own group of, of whatever the particular is that binds you as a group, uh, there's something very relaxing about that. You can be real together. And people talked about this. And the retreat had two parts. It was 
90% a silent meditation retreat, and then it had one period of of uh, interactive inquiry every day where we were talking. We weren't just sitting with aging; we were also talking about our relationship to aging and what happens. And people also love that because they love connecting with the Dharma from that place of being centered and present and here and real and not three other places at the same time, but just here and then relating one to another. <clears throat> and I was thinking about this talk today and I got asked to go on a walk uh, with my wife and uh, uh, my father-in-law and sister-in-law. And I often turn that down. I don't, you know, on Sundays, I just kind of hang out here and prepare the talk and do my thing, sit, meditate, work on the talk, go out, take a walk, come back, work on it. But uh, it was such a beautiful day. And, uh, and my, uh, my uh, father-in-law is getting older, and meaning he's older than me. Right, and so anybody older than me is old now, and uh, and because I'm old in in a relative that relative sense, my body's old, and um, and he's uh, he's um, 85 now, and it was interesting because I've been reading about the Dalai Lama just having the 85th birthday, and I was you know it's interesting to see the difference between the Dalai Lama and my father-in-law which, you know, there's a difference there. And, and, but they're both good, good folks, good people. And, um, but it was fun because we were walking on the beach and, uh, and I was talking to him about aging and getting older because I was giving this talk. And, and he's, he talked a lot about it, what it's like to have the long view, he called it. You get the long view when you're older, when you're 85 or... 90 or 95 or and but even even at any age all, you know even 20 as opposed to 10 or 30 as opposed to 20 or 40 and not 30 or 50 etc you keep getting a longer view a bigger view of reality of the truth of human life cuz you've lived more of it and then it was just fun to talk to him about what it's like to have friendships for 50 years or colleagues for many years. He was an attorney, he's retired now, but he still works. He does pro bono work. He does some really good work for the earth to support the earth and also for people in the military or who are having um, difficulty because they are minority, they are in some minority group. And so he does this pro bono work, and it's good, good-hearted work. And uh, I'm always happy to, but, you know, and so he was talking about how, oh, yeah, you do different things at different times of life as you age. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as Abraham Lincoln said, who was an American president, I think you all know that, he said, in the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years that count. It's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years that count. 
And so it's beautiful to see how there's life really at every moment. And how do we want to live? How do we want to live out this short life, right? Depending on really even a hundred years, not that long. Or at least as you get older, it doesn't seem so long. When I was younger, it seemed long. Now it seems like, oh yeah, maybe I'll live to 100, who knows? I don't have any big desire to live to 100, but it could happen. You know, I seem to have, especially on my dad's side, some good genes. And, uh, and my dad never took care of his body, and he lived to 92. And he just, he, he didn't do any yoga. And he never ate, I mean, he ate some vegetables, but I mean, it wasn't like he wasn't, ve he wasn't vegan or anything. And, and, uh, and he never exercised. I mean, that was just the wildest thing. He never, you know, he liked to watch TV at night and, 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 and hang out with people and work. And he worked even after he was retired and later in his 70s, 80s, he's still working. Meaning, and he, he had a, uh, a mom pa grocery store in Detroit when we grew up, and that's what he did from the time he was 14, right? So as a teenager, he started working in his dad's store, and he continued until he left Detroit, and then he moved to L.A. with my mother, and then he got a job in Farmer's Market in, in L.A., which is was a big deal. He thought he was a movie star because all these movie stars would come into the market, I don't know if it's called farmer's market, but there's some big markets in Hollywood or something that he ended up getting a job at, and, uh, and he loved it. But the, the aging can bring wisdom, and I believe that's true at every age, every phase of our aging, we can become wiser. And of course, I looked up the word in the dictionary, and it says, wisdom is a quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Um, it, it defines wise as having or showing experience of knowledge, good judgment, sorry. And the, the root of the word, the etymology of the word, which is a Proto-Indo-European root. I didn't even know what that was, Proto-Indo-European root. Uh, is weed, W-E-I-D, um, and it, it meant to see, and from the Old English, which is having the power of discerning and judging rightly, discerning and, and choosing correctly, right? And this is part of what it means to have wisdom. And then in, one of my teachers said, Hamid Ali said, maturity is connected with wisdom, and wisdom is connected with the integration of what you have learned and experienced. And if you, and he says, if you have not integrated what you have learned from experience, there is no wisdom, right? And he goes on, Hamid says, he said, wisdom is how we live our, our understanding, our realization, we are wise when our actions and attitudes express the understanding that comes from our spiritual maturation. Wisdom is true knowledge and understanding expressed in life, in actions and interactions, how we relate to others, events, and the world at large. So it's a beautiful um, 
it's a beautiful understanding of wisdom having not just to do with going deep in our practice, but that living that depth of what we discover in meditation, in Buddhism, in, in what's here, what's possible for us as human beings, what the Buddha realized, which he said was available to all of us. <clears throat> and so aging, aging has to do with impermanence and change. And of course, part of what changes is the body, right? The body ages. The body we had at 10 is not the body we have at 20. And 20, not 30. And 30, not 40. 40, not 50. It keeps changing. And we often think we are the body. I mean, that's a, that's a fine relative understanding, but we have no ownership of it at all. It's just given to us bodies, and they just change on their own, sometimes in ways we like, often in ways we don't like, right? And, you know, if, if they're healthy, it's like that's the best deal, especially as you get older. And it's, of course, true if you're young. If your body's not healthy, it's dukkha. It's difficult. <clears throat> and so the life that's here, that's aging, is actually right where we are. It's not somewhere else. The impermanence the Buddha talks about is not something else. And we could say, one could say, we are impermanence itself, right? With a living change that's right here with each breath. And each breath is totally new. And then we, and then we expire the out-breath, right? We, we are inspiring the in-breath and expiring the out-breath. We're living and dying each moment in that way in that kind of amazing way that we're uh, impermanence living itself, right? And what the practice teaches us is to look carefully, deeply, examine, investigate, explore this reality that's sitting here and this reality that's collective, that's alive. And we don't know what will happen. And aging as we get older, as Meryl Streep said, who's an American actress, she said, you have to embrace getting older. Life is precious. And when you've lost a lot of people, you realize each day is a gift. And that's, that's really some wisdom about life. It, each day is a gift because we never know how, how long we will age. You know, because, you know, uh, impermanence is change and also brings a certain kind of loss with it. Things do not stay the same. And there's dukkha with aging. This is from a, an old friend of mine, Gina Sharp, who teaches in New York. I'm not sure if she's still teaching or not, Gina, but... She said, you don't know what it means to sit in meditation until there's some great difficulty in your life. Not until something happens, like the grave illness of someone you love. 
and I remember, I know what she's writing about, it's about her husband who died of cancer. And she said, and then you were tearing your hair out and pacing back and forth in the corridor of the hospital, and there's nothing you can do. And finally, you take a seat in the midst of your fears and your sorrows and thoughts and worries, and you just sit in the middle of it all. And that's the moment then you begin to understand the power of presence. Somebody unmuted themselves. That wasn't me, but okay. Um, anyhow, that's what Gina was understanding when her husband was dying. He, she said, you just sit in the middle of it all, and that's the moment you begin to understand the power of your practice. And of course, with aging also comes um, other things. And there was a great article by a New York Times writer named John Leland about, um, about him interviewing six of the city's, New York City's oldest old at residence, people 85 and beyond from diverse cultures and backgrounds and life experiences. And he wrote, he said, these people totally changed my life, right? After he interviewed them, he said this, because things happen, he learned from them. He, and because we can always learn from people older than us. And of course, we can learn from people younger, but there's some wisdom often that people older have that we're still discovering. And he said, these people totally changed my life. They've given up distractions that make us do stupid things and instead focus on what's important to them. They don't worry about th about what things might, about things that might happen. They worry when it happens. And even then they don't worry, they just deal with it. At whatever age we are, we can choose to adapt to whatever happens. That's a beautiful understanding of, of practice for all of us, is can we be here in the moment and respond with our wisdom with our understanding, with our skills, with our intelligence, with our heartfulness, with our kindness, with our clarity, with our fierceness, if that's what's called for. And so I was looking up a little about older people as I was preparing for the talk and I found the whole thing I didn't even know about called The Elders which is a community that was founded by Nelson Mandela, who was the founder of South Africa. And it's a community where they have, of elders whose work is, their vision is about uh, creating a world where people live in peace, conscious of their humanity, of their common humanity, and their shared responsibilities. For, the, uh, for each other, for the planet, and for future generations. So it's a beautiful, I mean, heartfelt, sincere organization. And, um, and then I was reading about different people. The chairwoman is named Mary Robinson, who's 77. She was the first woman president of Ireland, also a UN, United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. And she identifies herself as a passionate advocate for gender equality, women's participation in peace building, human dignity, and climate justice. 
and the and then there are a couple co-chairs and of course they were totally impressive uh, a, a man um, uh, Ban Ki-moon who was a former who was 77 former UN Sec Secretary General and uh, he's um, he has been supportive of sustainable development, climate change, and gender equality, right? And he put that at the top of the United Nations agenda when he was there. And uh, Garza Michelle, who was 78, a woman who was um, um, the first, she, here, I gotta read you her little story that I looked up because she's kind of wild. She's a co-founder of the elders with Nelson Mandela. And it said she's a Mozambican politician and humanitarian. She's the widow of former president of Mozambique, Samora Michelle, and President South Africa, Nelson Mandela. She had been married to each of them at different times, and they had died. And at first she, she married one, then she married the other. So she got around. And, you know, she married some very interesting people. Um, and then it said um, she's an advocate for women's and children's rights. She's made an honorary dom. Uh, that's in Britain. They do that by Queen Elizabeth. And, um, and she's the only woman in modern history to have served as the first lady of two countries, South Africa and Mozambique. I mean, that's, that, I thought that was pretty wild, you know, life that she had and that she dealt with. And then just so many other people to see what do people do as their age. So I, you all know I like sports, so I was watching a little of the basketball game, trying to think who was playing Atlanta and uh, Embiid, uh, I can't remember which team he's on. Uh, Milwaukee, I think. Maybe that's that could be right. Um, but anyhow, but the announcer was interesting because they had one of the oldest announcers in the NBA who's like a Hall of Fame announcer uh, called UB Brown, who was 87. And it was it was wild to watch him still doing his thing with all the knowledge and history that he knows. He'd also been a coach at the NBA many, many years. And so it was just beautiful to see how wisdom can keep functioning and functioning in doing and helping and teaching and learning. Because of course he's talking about, oh, all the subtle things that happen in the game that I don't know about, or I might not see, but he sees. And then, let's see, where are we in time? Oh, we're good still. So I also was reading about the paradox of old age, how as people's minds and bodies decline, instead of feeling worse about their lives, they feel better. Now this is totally, doesn't make logical sense, but it's what the gerontologists say. Uh, that memory, uh, that people have, with memory tests, they recall positive images better than negative. And the brains respond more mild with, in the MRIs they've done, brains respond more mildly to stressful images than the brains of younger people. 
And so you hear there's something that relaxes as we age. And partly because we've seen it all, right? And it's just all life. Uh, Ajahn Chah put it differently. He said, if your mind is happy, then you are happy wherever you go. When wisdom awakens within you, you will see the truth wherever you look. Truth is all there is. It's like when you learn how to read, you can then read anywhere you go. And what he's saying is that something happens where we get right where we are and we relax right where we are. And we're, we allow, accept right where we are. It doesn't mean we don't want to change things at times, but it means we, in the moment, in the lived moment, we can relax. And this is something else about aging from Eric Erickson, who is a famous psychologist. And he wrote about wisdom as a byproduct of growing older. And he, he put it in psycho-spiritual terms. He said, wisdom arises in the eighth and final stage of psychosocial development. He described it as ego integrity versus despair. If one achieved enough ego integrity over a lifetime, then, a, then approach of infirmity and death would be accompanied by the virtue of wisdom. Because, of course, we're all going to um, lose our capacities at old age. Right, whatever, whenever that might be, because some people, their body really ages by 60 or 70 or 80 or 90, or some people not till 90, right? Does their body really get old? But it'll happen for all of us. It's not personal. That's part of the wisdom. It's not personal. You can't, you know, I mean, believe me, I like having a healthy body. I'm knocking on wood here because I like bodies and I like my body being healthy and I'm doing, you know, all I can in a relatively uh, a sane way to keep it healthy. But it, I can't keep it healthy, ultimately. Ultimately, it's going to, you know, get sick, get ill, get old and die because that's what bodies do. It's not personal in that way. Let's see, what else? Maybe that's enough for now. Uh, here's one more thing. This is from a German woman, uh, Professor uh, Ursula Saudinger, right? who talked about personal wisdom. And she's like a, a, a psychologist, founder of the Columbia Aging Center and president of the International Longevity Center, right? And are we, anybody here a member of the International Longevity Center? I never even heard of that before, but you know, we all may be joining it, we'll see. Um, and she described um, five elements that uh, compose personal wisdom. And the first is self-insight, right? Self-insight, which is, of course, what the Dharma teaches us to do is look at what's here and be aware of what's here and be in, able to be aware of it and not just in reaction to what's here. 
And then she says the second is the ability to demonstrate personal growth. And personal growth means partly seeing what's here and then starting to have the freedom to choose what do we want to do? How do we want to act? What's, what's a value? What's important to us now? Right? And then the third, she says, self-awareness in terms of your historical era and your family history. So you're looking at the causes and conditions of both um, your psychology and the social, political, spiritual world you live in, the culture we're in, right? And then she says, understanding that priorities and values, including your own, are not absolute. Right? Understanding that priorities and values, including your own, are not absolute. They're relative and they're important, but they're not fixed in stone. They're, they're alive and they change as we keep maturing so that the wisdom changes us. And then the last thing she said that I really love, she talked about part of what brings personal wisdom is an awareness of life's ambiguities. Awareness of life's ambiguities, which I talk about as the, the paradox of the Dharma. It is, it's, it's wild. And it's sometimes A, and it's sometimes B, and it's sometimes both A and B. And of course, in the full Dharma saying, and it's sometimes it's neither A, neither B, or neither A and B, right? And then you start to get the whole picture of reality just doing itself. Anyhow, those are a few thoughts about the wisdom of aging. And you know, I love to hear your perspective, your thoughts, reactions, questions, comments, what makes sense, what didn't make sense. And please raise your hand. You can go to the uh, reactions button and there's a raise hand if you push reactions at the bottom what a little screen will pop up and you can then raise your touch the hit the raise hand button and then I can see who to call on and uh, if nobody raises their hand I'll just call on people anyways because I'm in that kind of mood today anyways Oh, Philly. Thank you, Jonathan. The other team was Philadelphia. Did I say Philly or Milwaukee? I said, yeah, it's Philly. Okay, somebody's got a hand up. Anna, please uh, unmute yourself. Great. Hi, Eugene. Hi, wait, let me put you on speaker view. Great. Hi. Hi, Anna Monica. Um, Got it. A couple of things that you said resonated with what's happening in my life and I'm wanting maybe some input on a skillful way of handling it. Um, my relationship is changing, my, my personal relationship, not, not by my choosing. I'm sorry, I missed the last thing, not your what? Not by my choosing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of things you shared play into that. I, I, um, you know, he's older. 
So I, I think some things have become clear about um, what he wants to do in life. I know it's not personal. I'm holding that. for me. And I, I recognize I still have my life, um, the preciousness of this moment and Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's hard trying to stay in the present and, and um, you know it's too soon for mudita <laughs> yeah no no that's not what i'm sensing at all and and you know there's still some uncertainty there's nothing like final final but way to, to practice maybe um you know just what you shared that the one teacher who said you know we have all the teachings and then something happens and right no and yeah. so i think the really important thing to get and it was important for her to get and that maybe is can we be real here with the difficulty itself and not think, oh, practice gets us past it. Hmm. Practice gets us to be here with it and then it can move through us. Because for her, there was a tremendous amount of sorrow and grief and she was doing, and she's very, together person, right? I mean, really, she was a lawyer before she was a Dharma teacher and a good lawyer, and so she knows how to do stuff. So that's what she kept trying to do. And then at some point she realized, oh, that's, she's not in control. And so her grief and her sorrow came forward. And that's part of what's hard for all of us. It's very, yeah. yeah. I think um, that is what feels true. There, there is grief, but that is the most real feeling yeah. at the moment. And so I guess. And so if you, so then part of your practice becomes, can you allow the grief to be here? Because grief has its own agenda that doesn't have anything to do with what we want. Right, because I was a grief counselor for a number of years and worked with people who, uh, I worked at the cancer support community and I was working with, and at a Zen, Zen Hospice Project, um, I was working with people whose loved ones had died. And, and the one thing I know about grief for sure is it's, there's no timeline. It's not like, oh yeah, okay, I've been grieving for two weeks, I should be done. That's not how it works. It works to allow it to move through us. Emotions are really interesting. Emotion, it's about movement to allow the emotion. And most of us, and culturally in the greater United States, Western culture, emotions are okay over there, but not here, right? And so, you know, I mean, it's one of the things about the Dalai Lama, who, uh, who I said has turned 85. Uh, 
is about his capacity to weep when he's sad, period. And he just weeps and it's like you're right there and he's weeping because I'm not, I'm not that liberated, to be honest. I can't, it's not easy for me to weep, weep in public, but it happens sometimes. And it's just, and really all I'm saying is to not judge oneself for the grief at all and then giving it some time and space whenever is appropriate, right? Sometimes maybe it's not if you're with other people at work or at school or whatever it might be. Maybe it's, um, it's trusting that the practice that's been done up until now is doing what it needs to be doing and not using the mind to think, okay, what is the, what is the practice? It's simpler than we think anyways. It's just about being here with what's true. And what's true is you're having a breakup or it may be, you know, we're not positive, but. And, said, <laughs> pardon? He said pause. <laughs> <laughs> Good, okay, we're pausing. But it's, so there's feelings that come up and it's really good to allow the feelings and then see what's here because the awareness is not bound to the feelings. The awareness just aware of the feelings. So there's something here that's free of the feelings even as we're aware of them and letting them happen. Yeah, I can just feel how just letting the truth, speaking the truth, so much yeah. resistance. Totally. Right. Great. Thank you. Safe Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Hold on. I'm trying to... Okay, Amy. Hi. Um, since childhood i've been fascinated by the difference between something that's alive and something that's dead uh-huh. and the question has been um coming up for me in my sitting in my day but with with a certain urgency not not a tense but just uh comes up with a certain insistence to know, to be aware of what is alive mm-hmm. in the present moment. Mm-hmm. That it's really what interests me now so, at so, this stage of my life. Yeah, so what's alive in the present moment right now? Yeah, um, a feeling that something is being called on that I didn't, suspect Uh um, that there perhaps it's a question of like, is there some other intelligence with which I could? So, okay. You know, from the body, especially from the uh body, from the feeling, or maybe a, a different part of the mind, but can I inquire? You know, not watching sensation, but can sensation inquire? Can feeling inquire? Mm-hmm. You know, can there be 
I, so you're having a lot of questions. Yeah. That's about what's what, alive. Yeah. This moment. So that's what's alive in the present moment. You're having a lot of questions. It may be simpler than you think. Because it's you're very clear about what's alive. You're saying it. But you're looking somewhere. What I hear is you're looking for something else that could be alive here now or that you're not seeing. Yeah. Well, you know, that's... Yeah, the, especially in the body and sensation. Yeah, well, but the sensations are right here. Keep looking. Stay with them. Feel them. Be aware of them. See what they tell you or see what they don't tell you also. But mostly I'm, I'm, I'm really struck by your, uh, your, I'm not sure what it is actually. It's, and there's a curiosity for sure about what what's, might be here, but also there's some desire for something to be here. Yeah. So be, yes, aware, of the, be aware of the desire itself. Because mm -hmm. that's here in the present moment. Yeah. And it's alive. I'm just so interested. <laughs> yeah. And I care. You know, I, I care. Yeah. Great. Uh, interest is really an interesting uh, quality of our consciousness. Very similar to curiosity, in my, in my opinion. It's often in, that word is used in Buddhism as a very key word for practice. The, the interest. Follow your interest and see what happens. Well, I've been sitting a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Thank you. Okay, take care. Who else? Who hasn't spoken? Who would like me to call on them, even though they don't want me to call on them? There we go, Ali. Hello, Eugene. Thank you for for the always, uh, you know, talk relevant talks uh, to me also all the time. Anyway, I was in the circle that I had heard this acronym. I don't know if the folks have heard about it. That has been popular. is getting more popular. It's called VUCA in terms of the past year's events. You know, in the COVID time, uh -huh. which stands for vulnerability, uncertainty ambiguity that you spoke about and then anxiety and then uh, I think the team Buddhist team underneath it is uh, impermanence um, but I'm just wondering if you could uh, talk more on the transition uh, not just into the well perhaps maybe into the world as it opens up for us older folks um, in that age group uh, with the ambiguity and then uncertainty and anxiety and uh, yeah, 
but that's been like uh, it's been uh, it's coming into the call. I mean, in some circles, they use it. It's been pop coming po as a popular term. Say, so, say that. What What are the letters of the term? Uh, v U C A. Vuka. Yeah, vuka. Yeah. It's it just isn't that interesting. It's just like a duka. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, but no, no D. <laughs> no B. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, good... uh, probably they got it from the Duca. I don't. Go ahead. No, it's a good. It's a good part of reality you're bringing up, and a good part of change, because the world's opening up again in what we would uh, usually call it's becoming normal, except we know it's not normal. Right, right. Meaning we can go out, and I've been going out without a mask a lot now because there's a lot of places where I'm just walking outside and I'm not wearing a mask, and maybe I should be. But you know, if I'm in a room with people, I'm still putting on a mask. But it's it's clear that things are changing, and that we're going to go back to what we used to call the normal life, and then and it brings up for a lot of people, it's bringing up a lot of concern, anxiety, unclarity, because uh, uh, what's it going to be like? And we don't know, right? So it brings up the not knowing, which is a really important part of, uh, you know, when we were doing this retreat this week, we were doing um, the inquiry every day and we were doing different questions about aging and the issues people have with aging or but we also did a whole piece about knowing and not knowing and about not knowing what's going to happen because none of us knows what's going to happen as we age we have ideas you know or we hope it'll it will age in a certain way but we don't know we don't know really even when we're 20, what's going to happen by the time we're 30, right? Or 30 to 40 or 40 to 50. No, we don't know. I mean, when I think about my, the difference between my life between 20 and 30 and then 30 and 40, it was like, oh my God, there's so many changes happened. It was wild. And, and it's still, I don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, or where I'm going to be, really, even though, you know, I'm here and I'm doing this, but who knows what's going to happen. And especially as we come back to be a more uh, interactive collective world again, right? In terms of, you know, maybe in another six months, there'll be no masks anywhere, right? And there'll be no if everybody will be free of of COVID, whether they've been vaccinated or not, COVID will be gone or something. And, uh, you know, who knows? And so how do we practice with not knowing, which is what you're asking about, really important, really important. And so one thing is to just reflect about how much you already don't know what the hell is going to happen even tomorrow, right? And then see what happens as you keep feeling or sensing or being aware of that which is reflecting on it. Does that make sense, what I just said? I, I didn't comprehend you. Say that again, please. Yeah, so here we're talking about tomorrow. Neither of us knows what's going to happen. So right. right now, be aware of what it is that's reflecting on this, 
right? Because consciousness is reflecting on it. Mm-hmm. And consciousness doesn't have to know. We want to know, right? Or we get nervous, or we get scared, or we get excited, or we get anxious, or we get project our ideas. But in fact, there's something here that's aware of all of that. And that's what we want to keep finding our ground in. So that's that interplay between the consciousness and then <clears throat> me that wants to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's a fine way to say it. We could say the consciousness in you that wants to know or the awareness in you that wants to know. Either way, yeah. And, and being really kind to the one who wants to know. That's a very normal kind of human thing. We all think we want to know. <laughs> Sometimes we, we'd rather not know beforehand. <laughs> we'd rather just find out in the moment. But it's, you know, in the, in the light of the pandemic and then uh, there are, and then other stuff that's been happening, the technology, the complexity of the world, uh, the changes are tremendous compared to like yeah, past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I know. Here's here's mine. I'm going to be personal about this. So Waymo, you ever see those cars that say Waymo on the side that that are that have that are uh, mapping everything. So they drive around and they're mapping as they drive. I think it's called Waymo. White car. It's got these something. And I'm like, what the hell are these cars doing? And who owns these cars? And who, where did all the money come for these cars to map everything? And what are they doing with mapping me while I'm walking down the street? You know, I don't know what they're doing, but I just watch my mind doesn't know about this kind of technology that's happening, right? Where everything is being mapped in some way. I'm assuming mapped. But, you know, it, there might be other more, more uh, sophisticated terms for what it's doing mm-hmm. in terms of social media and, and, the, and devices, right? And, you know, who knows? I don't know. That's for sure. And, you know, human beings, who, who knows what human beings are doing? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to laugh about it a little bit because... You know, in some way, it's always been like that, although the technology is a little more sophisticated than, you know, 2,000 years ago. Okay. Thank Um, you. Thank you. Good to see you. You too, sir. Thank you. Okay. Who else? Gosh. Pardon? I see uh, a hand. Sarah yeah, I've just I just lost my connection here. Uh, okay, we hear you, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Sarah, can you I hear wanted, me? I, w- I wanted to ask. Wait, 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 Sarah. Wait. Can you sit back a little so we could see your face? Okay, uh, I'm trying to get back. I you, don't see myself. Yeah, well, we see you, so we're we're okay. I mean, you know, you nice if you could see yourself, but we okay. see you. There you are. Oh, yeah, there you are. Totally. Hi. Uh, this, is, 
something I live, as you know, in a senior community, and I handled something not very skillfully recently. It was at a dinner, and I was describing something that happened during the height of the pandemic. And I was up on the roof of this senior community, everybody walking around. Hmm. And somebody said to me, how are you today? And I immediately started to cry. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I just uh, continued walking around. And I noticed uh, a woman in a uniform coming up. It turns out she was a nurse mm -hmm. from downstairs in the clinic. Someone on the roof had called her. Right. And um, so by the time she arrived, uh, she says, Ms. Goldman, are you all right? And I was. Mm -hmm. The tears had come and the tears had gone and I'm walking and mm -hmm. I was fine. Mm -hmm. And as I was sharing this with the um, people at dinner, I said, um, so one of the people said, well, I hope you didn't find that a problem. Well, no, it wasn't a problem. But I, I also knew that if somebody, because there were friends out on the roof as well, mm -hmm. if somebody had said to me, um, you know, if something, if there's something happening you, you might like to talk about, mm -hmm. you know, I'd, I'd be happy to hear it. Mm -hmm. And the woman sitting at the dinner table said, what? You mean you would rather have an amateur <laughs> an amateur uh, talking to you <laughs> and rather than a professional and I said um, well I'm I'm thinking of us of us all as, as just being human beings mm -hmm. it just seems to be you know it could be just sort of human for somebody to say oh I'm sorry you're feeling the way you are or whatever might have <laughs> been said and she went on to this idea of being an amateur uh -huh. rather than having a professional. And I was so, it, it triggered something in me. Uh -huh. And I don't know quite what it was. And I found my voice getting, you know, getting stronger uh -huh. and kind of raising my arms. And, <laughs> uh -huh. I, and I didn't feel good uh -huh. right. about how I handled that. Right. So... Um, do you want me to respond to how you might have handled it differently or how you might yes. handle it now? I would appreciate that. Well, okay. Well, it, then in the moment, you might have said, to, just to be honest, oh, it's upsetting to hear your... your oh, hold on. Somebody just called me and my computer picks that up. Um, um, ch -ch 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 -ch. So you might have said um, your use of the word professional and amateur is ad agitating me. I'm, I'm getting irritated at what you're saying because I was fine with what happened. Instead of having to yell at her, but just tell her directly what's true for you. And so you're not making it about her. It's about your feeling. I feel I feel fine about what happened, but I'm getting agitated about what you're saying, right? And so you and again, using I statements is really really skillful. And 
Now, of course, you could always go back to say, oh, I'm sorry I got upset with you. I didn't realize that I was having a reaction to your, your uh, idea that you knew what was the right thing for me to do. And I don't think you knew that, but, but now I get it that I had a reaction. So sorry for my reaction. Because, yeah, we all have reactions sometimes. Does that make sense? Yes. That's very helpful. It gives me away because she lives just down the hall. Yeah, yeah, sure. Say something to her and then see. And maybe you could even say, you know, uh, you know, I really like the fact that other people could help me. It doesn't have to be a professional. And I don't have a or or I don't have a big thing about professional and amateur. Right. So, yeah. OK, thank you. I just got a note uh, from uh, Nina. So where are you, Nina? Why don't you speak up now? I'm right here. I didn't want to interrupt you. Okay. Uh, yes, good evening, everyone. Uh, I'm Nina, and I'm one of the board members. And I just want to say a couple words about Donna. Um, most of you know that Donna is the Pali word for generosity. And that since the time of the Buddha, these teachings have been kept alive through this practice of generosity. Um, so you can offer your dana to San Francisco Insight. Um, I put a link in the chat and you can give a financial offering if that's available to you, which um, helps to support our teachers and to keep the Sangha going. And you can also offer Donna in other ways, like volunteering. Um, so I, I think it was in, in Ollie's uh, question, he used a word about, um, well, it was something about this interweaving, this end, um, maybe you can help me with the word, Ollie, that you used, but... Um, Living between the consciousness and not knowing? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and you used a word, it was interweaving or interlocking or. But interplay. Was, interplay. Interplay. And I was thinking that Donna is really this, it's an interplay, and that these teachings belong to us, and we belong to the teachings, and that we interplay with each other to support. Um, the aliveness and wakefulness that's here. So thank you for your Donna. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you, Nina. And let me go back to group view, gallery view. Okay, everybody. Uh, I am going to look at one thing just so I can be accurate. I'm going to see... Um, who's teaching next week, which is Pam Weiss will be teaching next week. And then I think I'll be here in, no, I won't be here in two weeks. Look, in two weeks will be Don Neal. I'll be back uh, June 27th in three weeks. So great to see you, great to be with you. Uh, please be well, take care, and we'll just uh, ring the bell. And we'll offer a sharing of merit. Nope, that's not the bills too soon. You know, appreciating our good fortune that we have this time together 
to sit and practice and investigate the Dharma together. Uh, may it be for our benefit and for the benefit of each other and for the benefit of all beings. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from dukkha, whatever age they may be. May they all wake up. May we all wake up together as we age, moment by moment by moment. May all beings be free. Good to be here with you all. Please take care and I'll see you in three weeks. Next week, Pam, two weeks, Dawn, three weeks, Eugene. All the same person taking different forms. <laughs> okay, everybody, be well. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you, everyone. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Bye, Anna Monica. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Good to see you all. Yeah, good to see you. Okay. Upside down mouse. Who is that? <laughs> hey, Happy. Hey, Osman. Hi. Just saying hi. <laughs> Hope you're well. Okay, I'm shutting down here. Hi, everybody. <laughs>